Hey, this is David Gunger, and welcome to The Check-In. This is part two of our conversation from this week. If you missed part one, please go back and listen to that episode where we had a conversation with our staff as well as a special guest. We're going to continue part two now with questions that we received on the conflict in Israel and Palestine. So, thanks for joining us. We'll jump right in. Here's part two. My Palestinian friend told me that the U.S. has as much control in Palestine as Israel. Can you help me understand why Palestinians may feel that way? I'm trying to better understand our collective and my own role as an American in what is happening. I can jump in on that. I think, you know, one thing that's difficult for people to see about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is that it's not only a conflict between Israelis and Palestinians on the ground. One of the reasons it's persisted for so long is that there's a bunch of parties that intersect from Arabs, Europeans, um, different um, faith interests, and most notably in the past 50 years, um, Americans. We... um, we are a part and party to this conflict, sending billions of dollars to both parties and ag- organizing the entire um, world's response to this. This is something that um, we care deeply about. So then the question is, why? Okay, why do we as Americans care so much? Why is this? Why is Israel always in the news and Palestinians and um, you know what's happening in the Congo um, isn't? Now, unlike most foreign policy issues. Israel-Palestine is a domestic issue um, in the way that policy is shaped and formed. What do I mean by that? We don't have, uh, you know, church picnics around North Korea's nuclear weapons. Like North Korea's nuclear weapons, like we form policy around that in the White House um, with a, you know, advice from Congress. It's, you know, the State Department. It's it's mainly executive with, um, branch with some legislative input. On Israel-Palestine, however, this functions much more like, um, say, uh, Uh, marriage equality or, you know, uh, traditional or taxation or something that people really organize and mobilize about, talk about at their kitchen's tables. So this is much more like a domestic issue. For domestic issues, culture is upstream from politics. So the short answer to this long answer is that Americans really care about this this issue. Not all Americans, but some. And many Americans who do, um, some from certain segments of the Jewish community, but the Jewish community is incredibly diverse on this issue. And many evangelicals, many millions of evangelicals, Christians, this is kind of the largest traditional hawkish pro-Israel voting bloc um, today in America. It wasn't always that way. But what we see today is that that a lot of our policy and attitudes are shaped by people just like you and me, talking around their kitchen tables, collecting money in their churches, um, and then talking to their politicians and really organizing and mobilizing. So that's very depressing in one sense because there's a lot of energy for one perspective, but it's also hopeful because we see a lot of changes, a lot of understanding that being against occupation, against this two-tiered system where Palestinians live under Israelis um, for human rights is not, in fact, Um, anti-Israel or anti-Semitic, but that there is another way to work on this. There's another way to organize and mobilize, one that promotes security, dignity, freedom for both Palestinians and Israelis in equal measure. Yeah, I think that's really helpful, Greg. And I would pick up on that last point and say that we're starting to see some movement in how um, 
our political representatives are treating Israel-Palestine. Um, for so many years, it was a bipartisan like talking point that you're pro-Israel um, and for Israel's policies, um, not just for the state, but for like the actual policies that the government is making, kind of regardless of what they were doing. And I even think back to the 2014 conflict with Gaza, and I think that you're seeing very different um, reactions, especially from some Democratic Congress um, people that are starting to, while they're voicing support for Israel, they're also bringing up this issue of Palestinian human rights um, and the need for Palestinians to have human rights to move beyond this conflict in any sense of the word. Um, I also think, Greg, you talked about churches, and I grew up in evangelical Christian America. And this is something that while in my home church we didn't talk about as much, I went to churches in college when I was kind of church shopping where they would talk about support for Israel in the same breath as like support for pro-life movements and things like that. So this is something that one, is one of the reasons that I got involved in this issue in the first place is seeing the evangelical church in America engage on Israel-Palestine in ways that um, I didn't agree with and didn't think were consistent with how I understood the gospel. Um, but we posted a, a graphic a while back from Christianity Today that showed that um, evangelical Christians spend more money on lobbying for pro-Israeli causes than they do on lobbying for um, increased access to welfare or um, poverty alleviation. Um, so it's just something that especially even abortion. Yeah. And so it's something that as Christians or as a Christian, um, I definitely see we're hugely involved in this conflict. I want to go back for a minute and talk about funding as well. And, and I think this is something that it's been hard for me to understand because it's not something that's talked about a whole lot. But, you know, to me, learning more about this, it feels really ironic that we provide Israel so much military funding and Palestinians so much humanitarian aid funding. And through that kind of enable the continuation of a really unjust status quo. So when we pay for humanitarian response to the bombing in Gaza, the destruction of medical clinics, you know, UNRWA schools, but we're also paying for the bombs and the F-16s that have done that, like the U.S., in, in my perspective, and I think this is a where a lot of Palestinian frustration with the U.S. role comes from, the U.S. enables the continuation of a really unjust status quo and the continuation of a lot of the violence we see day to day in and out for Palestinians, irrespective of when hostilities escalate, where the U.S. can't seriously talk about peace or, you know, supporting a, a peace agreement or, you know, actual transformation on the ground if we continue to fund the military occupation on one side and the humanitarian response on the other side. That's never going to enable the, the kind of conditions on the ground that lead to a, a just peace, which includes human rights for Palestinians. Sarah, I think that's so important. And something I actually just learned in the past couple of days is that the U.S. does give about almost $4 billion in military aid to Israel. Um, but 75% of that aid has to be spent on weapons manufactured in the U.S., which I thought was just a, an interesting addition or addendum to to that policy. I think also one thing that I think of as well is the way kind of American Christians, as you are talking about, Sharon, um, approach travel to the region and how often uh, when Christians go to the Holy Land, they're going to these you know sites where Jesus walked and to these incredible sacred places, which are important to go to and meaningful. And I've been to many of them and, and they're incredible to visit as someone, a person of faith. 
But at the same time, it's often done in, in ways that um, ignore the reality of life for, for half of the population in the land and don't see where they live, don't hear from them. And I think that that, that reinforces this, these single stories, these single narratives that we tell within our communities, um, that there's only you know one side to this story. And it's so important when we're doing travel in the Holy Land, in other places as well, um, to be hearing from all people in the land. And that's something that we you know, prioritize on the trips that we take as an organization is that these are multi-narrative tours. You're not just going to go to the places where Jesus walked. You'd actually go to the places where Jesus would walk if he were there today. Thanks, David. I, we're in such a tough time, and it's at moments like this when it's it's so it's so hard to kind of hold together this vision that we have at Telos and that people like Roni have and that many of our other Palestinian and Israeli friends have. But we've, I think, even in particular moments like this, it's really important that we keep the the big Telos in mind, that overarching goal of what we are really aiming for, which is again mutual flourishing for all the people of the land security, dignity, and freedom for Palestinians and Israelis in equal measure, all those sorts of things. Those aren't just slogans. That is the vision that we're trying to aim at in all the in all the activism and all the ways that we're trying to re-imagine re how Americans can and should engage it that would do that. And I just had coffee this morning with a couple of close friends, and one of them is from a very much, a, you know, the sort of white evangelical, very pro-Israel kind of background and world. And, and he had read something that we'd said recently in one of the Telus communications that he thought was really helpful and really interesting because it was, it, it was the way in which it allowed him to understand that being pro-Israel as he is and wants to be is actually best served by also, you know, <laughs> being pro-Palestinian by looking for the things that allow everybody to, to sort of get into a different situation, which, de which means dealing with not just the sort of violence in the moment, but even when there's not violence, dealing with the structural and systemic issues and the historic issues, the injustices, all those things have to be sort of dealt with. That, But helping helping Israel deal with those things was his way of imagining a different kind of, of future that it's not zero-sum. It's not one side winning over the other. It's, a, it's a rejecting that whole idea that one side has to win and the other side has to lose. But that that everybody somehow has to live in a different re arrangement and reality that allows everyone to thrive in the land. That there is this has to work for both. And and he was encouraged by that. That as a Christian, he could see his own way to do that in in ways that felt also true to his own Christian faith and understanding of of how God meant us to live together in the world. Todd, that's so helpful. And I think you know to to break this down, I'm sure a lot of us are going to have ideas for practical thoughts, but let's get down to what you can do if you're listening right now. I think two places to start don't feel like they're going to have a lot of impact, but trust me, they will. First is to share and then is to speak up um, even more loudly. So share your stories. Right now, what we're seeing for those of us like you know who've lived this conflict our whole lives, um, I'm half Palestinian. I worked on the negotiations. I lived there for for many years. We're seeing people actually entertain on a large scale that we're human beings too, and that's necessary. Just recognizing these realities and the fact of our common humanity is a first essential step to get to a place of mutual flourishing. And recognizing and saying that the reality where one people indefinitely for generations has not enjoyed basic human rights, 
that's not being anti-Israel or anti-Semitic. In fact, there is no way to get to a place in which Palestinians and Israelis enjoy equality unless we acknowledge this reality. So sharing your stories of how you've been involved, asking questions, having those uncomfortable conversations. Peacemaking is not about sitting on the sidelines. Peacemaking is about taking sides, not against one party over the other, but siding very clearly with justice. We know something's amiss. You don't have to know all the details. You don't have to know all the history, but you do know that something's wrong. And the only way that we can get to a place that's good is for Americans to play a different role. So share those stories and then speak up in very specific ways with that family member who you don't want to have that conversation with. And when you have, think of Roni, who you just heard on this call, who left her safe room when she was not supposed to, to share with you. Think of the discomfort and fear that she had to process in order to get on this call to tell all of you that, hey, we need your help. We need a different voice from Americans because America is part and part, parcel to this conflict. So you can have a little bit of a moment of dis- discomfort. Call your member of Congress takes literally a minute. And on our website, we have a sample letter. You can pull out talking points from that. We have all sorts of resources you can use. Just call, share from your heart. Say, look, you know, I care for security for everyone there, but we need to de-escalate. We need a ceasefire now. Biden needs to push for this. And we need to finally center Palestinian human rights. Like, we don't get to a place that's good for anyone that doesn't work for everyone there. And right now, Palestinians are playing the paying the brunt of the burden. So there are two interrelated things, but share, share um, intimately, share on social media. Even if you get pushed back, that's okay. And speak up. Call your member of Congress. Talk to your pastor. Let them know there's another way to think about this. And if you get some pushback, if your voice trembles, you know what? That means you're making a difference. Along with sharing, there's a chance here, too, to help shift the conversation. Our telos, our end goal is mutual flourishing. It's not getting people to switch from being pro-Israeli to pro-Palestinian. It's about helping people understand how to be pro-Israeli, pro-Palestinian, and pro-peace. And there's not a lot of voices out there that speak specifically in that direction. And so helping people who are confused or critical of that understand that to be for Palestinian human rights is to be for Israeli human rights is something that as you've engaged with Telos programming is really important and an area where you can have a lot of impact without asking people to, you know, sign on to a a huge platform or, you know, completely switch sides or go against other truths that they hold central and important. And so helping people shift the conversation to a a pro-human rights frame that takes seriously flourishing of Palestinians and Israelis is going to do a whole lot to help shift the conversation. Yeah, one small thing that I'm trying to do in my uh, community of Christians is whenever I hear somebody talking about praying for the peace of Jerusalem, um, to make sure that they're actually praying for the peace of everyone who lives in Jerusalem and a peace that is actually what we would call at Telos embodied peacemaking. Um, We have a whole principles and practices of peacemaking document that I'll link in the chat in a second. Um, But peacemaking that involves justice and restoration and reconciliation and mutual flourishing. Um, that's really a robust bust understanding of peacemaking. Um, like Martin Luther King Jr. says um, that peace is not the absence of tension, but it's the presence of justice. Um, so making sure that in the Christian communities, if you're part of one, um, that have historically been um, pretty pro-Israeli at the expense of Palestinian rights, um, that they're understanding what peace actually is and giving them a better vision of of what what I would believe and what we would believe at Telos, those of us who are believers in, on the team um, would believe 
is like biblical peacemaking. Sharon, that's so helpful. And I forgot one last little very important point. Give. Give in this moment. Give now, particularly Israelis and Palestinians on the ground. Um, you heard, so reach out to your friends. I know this has been such a tough year for all of us, so not all of us have financial resources to give. But what's happening in Gaza, hundreds of everyone is being, the, the Gaza infrastructure was terrible. It's in the midst of a COVID spike right now. I mean, giving to places like the Anglican Hospital there, UNRWA, which um, administers AIDS, these people are in desperate need. And so giving to Israeli and Palestinian organizations that are helping people and promoting um, just peace, freedom, dignity, security for everyone there is important in this moment. Just as important to reach out to your friends on the ground, even if they don't respond, let them know you care. I've gotten hundreds of emails and text messages, even though I'm in New York City, haven't had a chance to respond to everything, but they've meant the world as, you know, people like me are having all of these sleepless um, nights during this moment. I think that's an important point, Greg. And, and I know we've gotten a question, at least, of how can we support Jack and Carly? Our colleagues, our friends, many folks in our network have met them on Telos trips. I'd love to hear from you both. How can we support you in this moment? I guess I will first. Um, I think by, by, first of all, I do appreciate and I want to thank everyone that sent me notes, texts, emails. I mean, it's, it's like Greg said, um, in a, in a moment where you feel so overwhelmed with, with bad news, you know, pinging on your phone and then you get this text from someone, you know, you met and spent time with probably sometimes two, sometimes five years ago. Um, and that they're thinking about you and, and it's just like, gives you a, a push it gives you a push up and so that's that's been really uplifting for me um ways to support me you know i i think the biggest way is i'd like to see our friends in the u.s um do the you know do all they can as greg said in terms of of, of pressuring um representatives um their elected officials pressuring the government because you know we spoke about this as a moment it's more than a moment it's it feels like it's there's a movement going somewhere and there is such huge loss of life um that has happened and and so much violence that's that's continuing right now on the ground and so if all this happens for no reason um that would be the biggest disaster uh, of this uh, of where we are now uh, i i look at you know i look at jenna and um I think it, there's been two intifadas. This is, you know, people are talking about this as a third. And I wonder if, you know, in 20 years, another generation is going to come up and rise up against the same, um, the same human rights violations, the same indignities. And, and that would be, that would be the biggest way people can help is if people can speak out and share stories and, and work for a change that will make it so there isn't another one of these uprisings for my daughter to live through. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with Jack a hundred percent. And I just, I feel like, um, the only thing I'll add is also like, it's been really powerful for me to see people sharing their stories of coming with us on trips, um, and how they've taken that, you know, years, you know, from, I had someone from my first trip that I led two years ago, um, contact me and, and, you know, it's, 
not just the reaching out, but also like utilizing that experience in a way that um, is positive and can affect other people and inspire them. And, you know, to see that everyone has that ability, um, you know, even if you can't phrase it or get all the facts right, or you don't know where you stand on this issue or that issue, I think it's important to take your core values and messages that, you know, we're trying to impart through Telos and to speak into that and, and share, you know, an Israeli story, a Palestinian story, uh, like what what is happening on the ground past, you know, the violence. And I mean, it's important to speak about the tragedy as well, but also like what are hopeful and inspiring grassroots movements that are looking to change this future? Because that's like what gives me hope. And that's what I think can give people hope abroad as well. And someone asked in the chat about how we can, how you can give. And uh, one of the easy ways to do that would just be to give to the Telos Peacemakers Fund, uh, which is uh, a fund that we have that's governed by the Telos Board of Directors that we, we support organizations on the ground doing difficult things in times like this and, and otherwise. Uh, and Sharon, I think, has put a link in the chat. You can also get to that through our webpage. Uh, there are other good organizations like Ronies and others that you could also give directly to. That's great. And we will be sure to include all of these links that we're sharing in the chat in the show notes. So for all of you who are listening, not live, you'll be able to access those resources and links. But I just want to say to, to round us out here that, as we've mentioned, this is a real moment. There's momentum that's building and we have an opportunity here to transform the way our communities are speaking and thinking about this and to support and speak up for a future of mutual flourishing, as we talked about. And we believe steadfastly here on the Telus team that that future is possible if we demand it and stand up for it. So lean into this moment, everyone. Don't look away. Continue to share. Continue to speak up. Ask that question. Follow that account. Don't let this moment be wasted, as Jack said.